0: Hi, I'm Mark Haywood, and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places.
1: Stay true to the tradition, but also push the boundaries forward and, and make it hip and cool and accessible to everybody.
0: The smell of cigar smoke filling the air, rickety wooden chairs, a pint of something dark and the skirl of a saxophone as it lights up the room. Jazz is a word that writes its own story. Just hearing the word has the uncanny ability to transport us to a place we may never have visited, and a time we may never have lived through. Its distinctive sound is a huge part of its storytelling power, but jazz is a genre that transcends music alone. The vivid lives of the diverse people who play and listen to jazz add a richness to its narrative. It's also a genre that sparks a passionate desire and true aficionados to keep the memory of its origins alive by suiting up, throwing on some shades and living like it's 1920. As with any genre that has its roots in deep history, jazz has evolved over time. And like singer-songwriter Liv Austin told us in Series 1 when we were discussing country music, evolution doesn't destroy the memory of a genre, it keeps it alive. One man who oozes jazz and is at the forefront of pioneering change within the genre is Brian Newman. He sings, he plays the trumpet, he's got a late-night Las Vegas residency at The Nomad called Brian Newman After Dark, where he brings an ode to old Vegas. And if that weren't enough, he also regularly works and performs with Lady Gaga. I am delighted to say that he's my guest today. Chapter 1. An American Tradition I first saw Brian perform at the Rose Bar at the Gramercy Hotel in New York in 2009 when he had a residency there, and I was captivated by his ability to seamlessly blend different genres of music together. It's clear that he lives and breathes the entire jazz lifestyle. It's the sort of passion that you don't just happen upon, it has to be within you from a young age, and needless to say, Brian knew very early on, that this is where his life was headed.
1: When I was, I was like, I was fooling around in concert band, you know, I was, and I was, I I didn't know that I was improvising at the time, but I was basically just playing whatever I wanted to with the concert orchestra, not reading the music. And I kept getting in trouble. And then the teacher uh, hit me to this jazz course that he taught in the summertime. And it's like summer jazz program, six weeks. And that's, I fell in love with, with, with uh, improvisation and just the blues and just the American tradition then. So after I took the summer jazz program, I started booking my own, Gigs at coffee houses. And I was probably 12, 11, you know what I mean? And then I finally got a, a, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday gig at an Italian restaurant. And it was just like, and, and I was playing standards with guys that were a couple of years older than me that I had booked because I knew that, you know, I wanted to play with guys that were better than me so I could learn. And and that's where I f- developed the love for for the music, you know, this American tradition.
0: That, that's that been a feature of your career, playing with people who have huge amounts of experience. I know that you've worked with if well, you've worked with Tony Bennett extensively before gaga actually as i as i understand it am i right because i know what it's like as a writer when you're in a writer's room and you're with writers who are more experienced it makes you better you can't help but get better at it when you surround yourself with these people can you
1: no, and especially I think that's a good that's a good uh, a place to you know start about that because when we were writing for Tony and Gaga's record cheek to cheek, you know they had hired us to to write and perform arrange I'm sorry arrange and perform uh, you know six to seven songs on the album, and then the other half of the album was going to be the classic you know orchestra and, and big band and everything like that you know the classic Tony Bennett stuff. Um, But, you know, we did a smaller group thing and just being around, you know, it was me, um, Alex Smith, who plays piano still with me. I've been here with him and Steve Cortica, who's a sax player for over 20 years. And those guys are just incredible arrangers. You know what I mean? So, you know, know, I arranged, we we all kind of took... Took a couple songs and just you know fleshed it out and then got together but it is it's it's tough but it is it's great to be around them because when i had questions or they need or i I wrote something that was terrible they would they would help me fix it and and you know it wasn't like you know oh do your own shit you know what i mean it was like you know community we wanted we want to be on this record that we knew if we wrote charts that weren't very good they might they might not make the record and then we wouldn't be able to tour the record we wouldn't be able to be on the record so there was a lot at stake and I, i knew that all the guys felt that pressure you know but it also made us ride to the occasion.
0: It seems odd to think that that pairing seemed unlikely at first, given how successful that it was. I'm talking about Tony and Lady Gaga because you wouldn't necessarily think of pairing those two things together. But that's been a feature of your career, hasn't it? Is blending things. That wouldn't necessarily go together. I have an example for you, actually, about my own experience. I, I I'm fascinated by music and its storytelling power. About thirty years ago, um, Harry Connick Jr. played the Royal Albert Hall here in London, oh, and beautiful. it was broadcast on on national radio on Radio One, and, and I'd never heard anything like it. I didn't know what big band was. I didn't know. I didn't know you were allowed to do that sort of thing with music, and it was astonishing. It had a real impact on me, and I and I don't play a musical instrument, but I was blown away by the storytelling and the narrative and what he would do and how he would make you feel. And I've thought about this a lot recently. I think that people like Jay-Z are incredibly clever when they do things like Hard Knock Life as a rap song, right? So they take something that you know is traditionally one style, and they make it something different. That's what you were doing with Tony and Gaga, wasn't it? It was blending two things that wouldn't necessarily work if you thought about it, but when you put them together, it's magic, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's it's really great. And just, you know, and that's like, like you said, like that tradition of the music and like that hard knock life is a Broadway song. Everything, everything that we were, all the songs that me and Gaga play, Tony Bennett play, they're all, they all came from some Broadway show at some point that someone took and arranged a certain way. And then it, you know, it goes through this, you know, process of, of getting, you know, more and more modernized, you know? And I, th- I think that's, that's what we like to keep. We like to stay true to the tradition, but also push the, push the boundaries forward and, and make it, uh, make it hip and cool and accessible to everybody. You know,
0: there's always a new audience out there, isn't there? I think it's often you just have to try and find them. Uh, and it may be that you take something traditional and make it more accessible. And it's as simple as that. It sounds almost too simple, but that's what you're doing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but I th- I think too, Mark, that it's like, it's like a lot of people have misconceptions about what jazz is or what American music is, you know, I, the, the word jazz to me too, like, it's not really my favorite word, you know, I mean, like, I say it, but I, I, American tradition, you know, American music, it's like, uh, those standards are as American as these tattoos, you know what I mean, there, there's this or my, or the, the 51 hot rod, you know, d- riding a hot rod through the it's, that's that's america you know what i mean and uh to to me at least and and, um (laughs) you know but just just staying true to that tradition you know what i mean but also making it accessible pushing it forward pushing the boundaries you know just like they did before us we're not changing any formula you know it's all just a a progression of of life
0: it's a very rich tradition you're you're right you're absolutely right and i I think it repeats itself time and time again on on that there is a real a retro vibe to parts of your look and parts of your performance, everything from the microphone to the hair, to the clothes that you wear to the album covers and that, and, and the hot rod and all of that, it's all part of it, isn't it? This, the whole thing, I talk to artists about this a lot, the look, the vision—it's all part of a narrative, right? I mean,
1: I think so, but I think at the end of the day, it's like you know, this is just things that I like. I'm just being myself. So it's like, and and I and even when I talk to young, you know, I've been doing a ton of these zooms all year, you know, for young students and 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 schools and colleges and high schools. And uh, one thing I always say is that you know, you really got to stay true to yourself. You know, if you you have a certain sound in your mind and that's what you want to push, like you know, think about you know, artists like I don't know, I, you can name a hundred that that like. You know, if you looked at them and you didn't know who they were, Bob, Bob Dylan, or you know, like these thing, people that weren't didn't have the best voice or didn't, but they did their own thing. You know, and that was so important. That's so important to just be yourself and and live your life. You know, so it's like you're it's it's a lifestyle. We 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 love that kind of music. We love that kind of art, fashion, cars, everything.
0: I love how certain musicians and acts and artists they can take something that is so obviously something else and make it their own. I, I we talked about Jay Z. I'm also fascinated by. By bands like Guns N' Roses who will take something like Live and Let Die or Suicide of Painless and make it some, an authentically Guns N' Roses track, almost as if they made it in the first place, right?
1: Yeah, no, to- I'm totally. And I mean, I think about, think about other songs, that you know, all the songs that Willie Nelson wrote, and then, you know, or Dolly Parton wrote, you know, Dolly Parton wrote, uh, I Will Always Love You. And then Whitney Houston just made it like the hugest song that, you know, you, you but it comes from that songwriting. And the same thing with the Broadway guys and country music and, and hip hop and jazz and everything. It all has this conglomeration of, of everybody, you know, and all everybody's influences.
0: Chapter Two The Rose Bar. I've mentioned the Rose Bar, not simply because that's where I first met Brian, but because jazz is one of those genres that is defined by experiences. The people that you're with, the bar that you're in, the drinks that are on your table, they're all as integral a part of the narrative of jazz as jazz itself. And there are a few places like the Rose Bar, with its solid walnut bar, 25-foot-long hand-carved limestone fireplace and Douglas fir columns. I can remember it to this day. It's an intimate space, that has played host to artists like Rufus Wainwright and Axel Rose, so it's understandable that Brian's residency there was a defining part of his career.
1: I mean, yeah, we were there nine years, twice a week, starting in twenty, you know, two thousand, whenever two thousand. I don't even remember. So 10, nine, ten years we were there. Uh, but before that, we were performing every Wednesday at the Oak Room at the Plaza Hotel. Uh, we were there about a year, and then they closed. So around that time. You know, I was doing other gigs downtown, Dwayne Park. I was running, you know, running a burlesque show. It's basically a smaller version of what we do in Vegas now, uh, but uh, you know, cut the burlesque, variety, special, you know, special guests, all all sorts of all sorts of great stuff all night. So back to Rose Bar. So after, after the Oak Room closed in July, we played, we recorded an album there the last night they were ever open. And that's just an iconic room. It's been in so many movies, North by Northwest. You just see that that iconic Oak Bar, you know, the paintings, the oil paintings, everything. So we were done there, which was, you know, which was bummer. But then we started talking to a guy called me at Rose Bar and um, we started playing there on, I believe it was Thursdays. And then a couple months went by, six months, eight months, it started picking up. They added another day and we ended up doing, you know, that was uh, the place to be. You know, we were having, that was a great time.
0: It really was a place to be. It was one of those, and it's often an overused word, but it was a destination bar. It really was the place to be seen. I I found it fascinating. I I saw you perform many times. The, The crowd was always just loving it you know you'd come out you made tuesday nights the new thursdays and thursdays the new well yeah. <laughs> you know, friday and saturday
1: <laughs> thanks man i appreciate that we're all, that was what we always had a good time there man
0: it was a very it was a very happy time I yeah have, yeah i have to say but gaga did a few um pop-up shows with you didn't she she would want were they always planned or would she just rock up and start singing um,
1: a, a little bit of both you know something you know we we're, we're very good friends so we, when she's in town you know we, we try we try to you know hopefully hopefully get together if we can you know but uh she did that at the oak Room. She came to Dwayne Park downtown. Very helpful. And then was hiring me as a, how it all happened was she was hiring me as a solo artist, you know, solo trumpet player to play like a couple jazz songs and then play in between some costume changes. So one of the first things we did was the Today Show. And then I was actually in, up in uh, Carlisle at the BBC, BBC Radio One Big Weekend. Uh, with her then that was like that was the first huge gig that I played I mean talk about amazing you know what I mean rainy and muddy but beautiful you know what I mean like just a great I never seen so many people so anyway so so then so and, and we had been friends before and then we just you know kind of I knew she was a musician we went to see her shows before all she was before all the craziness you know what I mean and um and it was just a great thing. So we remained friends, and she would come and sing a couple songs with us. And she would hire me to go and play with her. And and you know, the rest is the rest is what we've been. You know, the rest is history, I guess.
0: But it's a it's a fairly rich history. I mean, you ended up working on Star Is Born. You've the, the residency down in Vegas. It's clearly a very productive um, relationship. That wasn't your first screen work that you'd done, was it? You'd done some television before that.
1: Um, a little bit we did friends with kids uh, a movie uh we, we did a couple songs for that but not not a ton man she's been really you know a really so helpful and so just uh, appreciative of, of what we do and i'm so appreciative of what she does you know I, I love her style i love the way she sings i love her talent her dedication you know what i mean it's really um it makes it easy to work with you know m- my job as a as a band leader and an arranger for her uh, you know is to is to put together the band and and make sure the arrangements are perfect and and everything is lo- to make her her sound that much better you know everything is to lift her up and lift up the the music that we're that we're um that we we care so much about you know the america this american tradition that i keep talking about
0: take you to vegas if i can mm-hmm. Brian. um I, the days all seem like they're the same at the moment so i may have my timings wrong but back the, the nomad after dark that came about middle of 2019 is that right
1: I believe so. We started it. I remember we played New Year's. Yeah, about six months after we started playing with with Gaga and the orchestra there, and in, the, in the main room at the Park Theater, which holds about six thousand. And then the Nomad Restaurant is a um, you know 200, 300 seater. You know, uh, and uh, we would jam them in there th- four nights a week uh, at eleven o'clock, eleven thirty at night, till about you know we would go to four or five sometimes. So it was it was it was a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of great special guests, and uh, you know you know hopefully we'll be we'll be back doing that again. You know, I know Vegas is starting to. Um, it's crazy. They're going 100% on uh, June 1st. So uh, still got to wear the mask, but you can you can not social distance. And I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm gonna go. And uh, you know I got my shots, so I'm, I'm you know all the band is good. Everybody's I'm I'm ready to go. Mark, I'm I'm ready to go. You know it's been a long time.
0: Chapter three, back on track. Considering everything we've said about how important location and people are to the experience of jazz, lockdown hasn't been easy on the genre. That's not to say the saxophone stopped playing, as we know you can basically do anything on Zoom, but getting the raw emotion of jazz across through a screen, it's no mean feat. Fortunately though, when you starve people of something they love for long enough, the hunger for its return is extraordinary. It would certainly be true to say that Brian's 2020 didn't quite go to plan
1: we were supposed to be doing all the nomad locations in london new york um, and obviously vegas we were staying there and uh, they were they were opening the london the london edition of the nomad uh and then what else we shot commercials we did, we did we did we did a super bowl commercial it was it was crazy you know we did ton, tons of stuff we played it though, uh but uh we did that all but then, then everything like you said everything was was null so we had to reinvent. We recorded some songs. We put some stuff out on social media. I worked on my car a lot. You know what I mean? Um, I spent a lot of time with my family, which was amazing. And, and we were very lucky. Um, we had we had a couple. Uh, we had one unlocked down where they unlocked us down. And we were able to go play for twenty five percent. We got about three months before Thanksgiving, about two or three, two nights a week. And then I got to do some the Preakness horse race in Baltimore, uh, which normally has about 80,000 people, this time 1,500, but they did the races. We did a live TV broadcast. And then now we've been back in New York three nights a week um, at the Soho House here and at the Spring Place and at uh, Fine and Rare, which is a great restaurant um, in uh, 37th and Madison. So we've been lucky. We're back there and we're doing the Preakness again in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I can I can smell it in the air. We're starting to work. We're starting to get back. You know, people are getting, like I said, getting their vaccinations. And
0: Having been deprived of um, live performance and 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 music, live music like like yours. Can you notice the reaction in the audience? Can you feel it? Can you feel that people are just so happy to be back?
1: Yes, absolutely, and and like I said, like during the first unlockdown, the first when they let us out the first time, you could sense in the air that people were still uh, fearful and, and still just cautious, and you know they were happy to be there, but they also were. But this is a total is a totally different vibe now. You know, it really is. It's really it's really great. You know, and honestly, you know to, about the whole like all the Zoom stuff. I love doing the Zoom stuff. I love doing this, but like for me, for listening to live music on it and and producing live streams, like we did a couple, and we did a lot of we did some a lot of stuff right out here in my garage you know out front for the neighborhood and, and we would live stream that and that and not charge any money that that was fun for me because it just i don't know i i miss being on stage the stage is where everything happens and where people are together and that's the whole part of music you know it's like it's great to watch it on tv but you know I, i'd much rather be there and feel it
0: yeah, it's completely because it feels it feels that there's an intimacy to it it feels like you're part of something that you know is very special very very private and and, and it's a real privilege to be A part of that when you're watching at home on your laptop where you could be anywhere (laughs) although you could probably potentially reach a much larger audience (laughs) uh well
1: which which is good too and which you know uh, like my manager had to you know he told me he was like you know we we, this is going to be we can still supplement stuff you can film your live shows and people are still going to be into this because like you said we do get a lot of people from you know like london or or you know as far as you know brazil or japan or whatever you know australia that that can buy a ticket that maybe even couldn't get here during the normal times. So that's a, and a cheap ticket, 15 bucks, 10 bucks, or whatever, whatever, pay what you can pay. You know, I've I've been digging that a lot of artists have been doing that and just, um, you know, just for staying true to their craft. They'll be in themselves and and hopefully, you know, waiting for us to get through this so we can get get back to um, hugging and kissing.
0: So will all of the things that didn't happen because of lockdown that are now starting to happen, will they all go back into the diary? Will you still do all of that nomad stuff?
1: You know what? I really hope so. You know, we're always in talks. So you know, you know, I mean, and I, I'm a, you know, listen, they are they just got I just had to sign a release to to for the commercial to be aired. So that that's a good sign. I'm still in the commercial. So may, hopefully we'll still I'll still be in Vegas.
0: <laughs> you yeah, that's great. Yeah, well exactly.
1: I'm not cut out of the camera. I'm not edited out. So 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 that's good. But but I'm hopeful, man. You know, and I was just there. I just uh, I, they University of uh Las Vegas uh College of Fine Arts uh were I they honored me so tremendous tremendous honor. of a a newcomer award from their for their hall of fame Uh, so i was just there a couple weeks ago and i got to see some of the crew and and go hang out at the old park mgm and you know i I love las vegas Uh, they've been so good to me and i i can't wait to get back there and and do some more fun stuff
0: vegas is certainly at the top of a very short list for for me somebody asked me where would you go where's the first place and it it didn't even finish the question i was just yeah just because Vegas, Vegas, there, baby, there's something, Vegas, baby. There's something there's something about it um, musically. Brian, what's um what's coming up? Obviously, the, the, the blend of the old um, classics with, with new stuff. But have you been working on new material during lockdown?
1: um yeah we're actually finally gonna get have a have a rehearsal on friday um you know with uh with the band with because you know we, we we only have three of us now uh it's like more of like the original like when you first saw us at rose bar it was just drums organ b3 hammond organ, and myself that's right um and it's you know it's gone through gone up to five you know at right before the pandemic and uh you know the it re, the iteration of the band has been my favorite so far but uh we're waiting steve cortica the sax player is moving back in a week and then hopefully our baseman Daniel Foose, will be moving back soon and we'll we'll put the band together no matter what the pay is. We're uh, you know, I want those guys on, on stage with me and, and uh, you know, working again
0: absolutely well i hope it isn't too long before i can see you on stage back in person again i don't think i'll make it to a muddy field in carlisle but i'd much rather come to new york and see see one of your shows i know you're very busy but as always brian it's been a pleasure brian Newman. oh man no
1: please mark thank you so much for having me and anything you need any time hit me up i'm sorry this took so long to get together but but we're here it's funny you don't have anything for a year and then you're busy again you know yeah
0: A massive thank you then to Brian Newman for today's episode, and to recap, what have we learnt? Never be the best writer in the room. Surround yourself with writers who are better or more experienced than you, or push you to work harder and to hone your craft. And if you ever need advice, you'll always have someone around to ask. Sticking to convention can be beneficial, but it was Brian's accidental rule-breaking and improvisation that led him to jazz. So, make sure you break the rules from time to time. If you stay true to yourself and indulge in and celebrate the things you love, it doesn't matter if you're not the best musician or the best writer. Authenticity, loving what you do, is more important than perfection. And finally, Brian doesn't just perform with Lady Gaga. He's there to lift her up and make her the best that she can be. It's the same when you're writing a script. Your job as a writer isn't just to spell out the narrative. It's to make your characters be as authentic as they can possibly be. Make them be the best character that has ever been created. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. Let us know what lesson you've taken away from this week's episode and do share any suggestions for future guests or discussions. We'd love to hear from you. You can either give us a like or leave a comment in Apple Podcasts or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at Behind the Spine. We'll be back next week with our very last episode of the series. Until then, goodbye for now. Stay safe and keep writing.
1: This podcast is produced by Oli Podcast Production. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.